Welcome to Unraveling Midlife. I'm your host, Sarah Spence. Thanks for joining me as I explore my own midlife by speaking with inspiring people about theirs. The show overall was inspired by the midlife crisis, Western astrology transits, though it's not definitely all about astrology because of the range of people I talk to. At the end of each episode, you'll hear a music track by me that links into the discussion in some way. Today's guest is a total badass, according to her website. Described as pink meets Brene Brown. My interest was piqued, especially as the name of this show is inspired by the Midlife Unraveling essay, written by Brene Brown. In a departure from my usual guests, this is someone I met at my day job, which is fairly far removed from the topics I tend to discuss on this show, or in most of my online presence. Shelley Davies is a bright spark on a usually dull topic. She's a writer, a trainer, and a keynote speaker on how to write better. Plain language, getting your point across. Shelley's great at that, as you'll hear. Um, but don't worry, this show isn't all about report writing. We hear about Shelley's eye-opening story of huge life changes in her midlife, starting over completely. Her transition from high school teacher to very successful businesswoman. And all the other little bits and pieces along the way. Well, actually not all of them, but definitely listen through to the end because it's an incredible story. As we hear from Shelley, midlife lessons are totally worth the discomfort to transform it from midlife to mid-love. Shelley, welcome to Unraveling Midlife. Sarah, how's it going? Yeah, midlife is continuing to unravel. It certainly is. And actually, I should go back and read that Brene Brown article that we bonded over. Yeah, look, midlife is my favorite favorite freaking love it am I allowed to swear on your podcast yes because I get to tick the explicit content included I can love midlife it's honestly the favorite I remember in my 30s I used to wish that I was 17 again I used to spend a lot of time wishing I was 17 again because that was a time in my life where I felt free and relatively comfortable in my body and I didn't have demands on me and then late 30s and into my 40s, I would never go back to being a teenager again. Fuck no. No, I think 35, I felt really good. But I also had a bit of a, oh my gosh, I always thought that if I was thin enough and pretty enough, because I was quite <laughs> over, overweight at 17, mm-hmm. um, that life would flow perfectly. And then I realized that that wasn't true. <laughs> no, no, not true at all. Speaking as one who's had weight loss surgery and lost 60 kilos and knows a lot of other people who's had, who have had weight loss surgery. If you don't like yourself before you lose weight, you find yourself skinny and still miserable. Mm. Mm. So I always tell people if they're thinking about something big like weight loss surgery, you have to do it out of love for yourself. You can't do it to fix yourself. Because it doesn't, it changes the physical, but it doesn't change anything inside. We've we've got to do that for ourselves. No surgery is going to change that. And I guess that goes for any kind of surgery or any kind of dyeing your hair or anything yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, even, well, it even goes for relationships, right? I'm going to be happy once I'm in this relationship. Well, are you though? Because you might just mask the fact that you don't like yourself for a while, but eventually that's why I'm all about loving yourself as power. Loving yourself is the root of all good things. And I did not know that until midlife. From the sounds of things, it seems like midlife comes along. And I mean, there's astrology transits associated with these, this midlife kind of time. And if you're not on the right track, it shakes you up and goes, Mm. Hey, you need to sort it out. And it Mm. hopefully teaches you that or, or life goes pretty much downhill. Yeah. Yeah. I met a woman recently and she must've been in her sixties. It was in a training and her total focus in life at that stage in her life was to be smaller and quieter. Ooh. She had messages, particularly from male coworkers that she was too much, too loud. She needed to just be not. And I was 
oh my gosh, I just wanted to shake her. I wanted to take her home with me and not let, let her go until I had been like, your aim at 60 should be to be more you and to be unfettered and unconstrained. And I could not believe that she truly felt that her, her best personal development at that time in her life was to talk less, to not be as big. Mm, how, how about find something else to do without those particular yeah, yeah. I was, colleagues I was like who's telling you that and she's like oh you know boys at work and I was like um fuck them <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my goodness uh, my midlife has been all about being more me having a stronger voice being more powerful caring so much less about the opinions of others. I think that Brene Brown, and I haven't read tons of Brene Brown stuff. Like I've watched her TED Talks and I follow along with some things and that's enough for it to be absolute truth for me. There's so much truth in those small points. I don't need to read all her books and drink all the Kool-Aid. I'm just, I'm already in there. Um, But I think she talks about something about a postage stamp, like the number of people that you can fit on a postage stamp or something like that. I don't know the exact words because I haven't read it. But basically that there should be such a small number of people whose opinions matter in our world. Mm-hmm. They should fit on a postage stamp. And that is absolutely true in my world. That's, it's taken me years and years to develop that. But I think that we grow up, especially as girls, um, with messages from the world around, and, and maybe for me growing up religious too, around um, being a good girl, being polite, not upsetting people, not saying things that will cause conflict or tension. Um, and I know some women who were raised to be vocal and have an opinion, and, but, but I think that they're the minority. I think most of us get these really mixed messages about you can be anything you want to be, but I'll make sure you don't upset people along the way. Absolutely. Oh. It's not like I got oppressed growing up. I was I was told that I was of value and I was loved and I was I had huge potential but all of that existed within the constraints of be a good girl it's these ingrained societal conditioning that our parents may not even be aware of our greater family the people around us it's just been forced into us from centuries of Mm. church state yeah. Not necessarily religion itself or the, the pure spirituality of it, but the, the dogma of here, this is society, powers that be are trying to control you and keep you in your place because otherwise the, the perfect order would change. Yeah. And, and all of those ingrained thoughts and beliefs shoved into our, stored into our bodies and yeah, yeah. been working with the Dalian method, which is a great way of getting it getting it out so it's really been top of my mind recently yeah yeah there's been a joke in our family for a long long time because we've got really strong women in the Davies family and in fact in Ngati Wai which is our iwi from up north in Great Barrier Island really strong women and there's been a joke that if we lived in the dark ages we all, all would have been burned as witches because <laughs> we all have opinions and we all have ideas and we don't keep those to ourselves <laughs> and I I think about women back in those times actually and go and I just I mean it's tragic the way that the world viewed them and treated them but I admire those women I'm like fuck I just they resonate with me I feel connected to them and I'm glad I didn't live then I mean we all come from a line of strong women or we wouldn't be here yeah yeah totally Mm -hmm. (laughs) so the Brene Brown I, I read somewhere on something that you were doing that described you as Brene Brown meets pink. Yeah, the love chart of Brene Brown and pink. That is my dream <laughs> because I would like to think that I'm these days and I, me 10 years ago would never have described, I've been bold enough to say these things about myself, but I would like to think that I'm a combination of the softness and vulnerability and um, you know, absolute vulnerability and open bookness that, that Brene teaches us about and that her research validates is absolutely vital for connection and 
creativity and innovation and growth. And the the badassery and entertainment of Pink, because I just, it, but she also is just wide open and, um, you know, wears her heart on her sleeve and presents herself to the world in a way that's like, here I am, whether you like it or not. And, and so many people are drawn to that. And so there's the, the emotional intelligence of Renee Brown and the credibility around that. And then the entertainment factor, realness, give no fucks kind of aspect of pink that that's what I would like to think that I embody just by being me, not because I'm trying to be anybody else, but I just, I, I love both of those women hugely. I wasn't a huge pink fan. Like I knew her stuff cause it was everywhere. Um, and then I was, uh, doing partner dancing Ciroc and we did a team routine and it was an all girls team routine and it was to you and your hand that was basically oh, yes. like a big yes. middle finger oh my gosh that must Guys. have been so fun it was great <laughs> yeah yeah I love it I have to admit that I've seen her in concert about five times and I usually just cry I just I, her music and her words and her presence on stage um just kind of crack me wide open. I don't know if that makes any sense, but um, maybe I think that I'm pink because we have the same Myers-Briggs pro- profile. Oh, what's okay. <laughs> that? Uh, well, from 16 personalities, it's called The Entertainer. I can never remember the ENTJ oh, or whatever those things are. It's The Entertainer. Um, I'm not yeah. that one. I can't remember what, my, what, what the word was, but it wasn't The Entertainer. It was uh, something a little bit more... No, no. Mm, can't remember. Would have to look that one up. <laughs> yeah, I th- there's a lot of um, kind of aspects of the um, the heart, the gut, um, and you know the emotions being driven driven by emotions, being really um, present in the moment. Those those kinds of things. That's that's me. And what what I think is cool is that throughout midlife, I've learned more and more about those things. And I've been able to lean more and more into them and leverage off that. I think that maybe women get afraid that if we lean more and more into our true selves, that that's going to cause some harm or some upset, that it's going to, we'll lose people or it'll affect our careers or something. And of course it totally does, but anyone that it alienates, I don't think should be should be sticking around. I don't think we should want to keep those people around, even mm. if they're our family members, because because if you can't be fully who you are and have the people around you accept you, then then there's no alignment, and I don't think that that's useful to have them be a big part of your life. If that means we need to change jobs, change careers, go in a different direction, move towns. You know, yeah, I've done that a few times. Yeah, <laughs> I certainly have. Yeah, it does make life exciting and challenging. Mm. So it all more important. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, excitement! I need excitement. I need variety. I need excitement. Can I tell you when it all started to change for me? Can I tell you the story? Absolutely. And then great. you can tell me if that aligns with any of my. What are they called? Because I'm clueless about the astrology stuff, like transit. Yeah. So, yeah, I sent you through some transit dates. So transit some dates, of the, yeah. um, the midlife uh, yeah. transits everyone goes through because you have the snapshot of you, of the sky, i.e. your natal chart, it's called, when you're born. And then at different times through life, the planets are doing their thing, going around, and they start making angles to where you were when where they were when you were born. Um, so the midlife is when these these specific ones, um, especially um, Uranus, comes to the exact opposite of mm. where it was when we were born, and that's like the real shake up. And before that, there's a Pluto and in a Neptune ninety degree kind of angle, and Pluto like brings up biggest fears and Neptune kind of like spiritual fog and the, the Uranus and and then the, there's a Saturn opposition that sometimes has a bit of a responsibility kind of flavor um and and sometimes the dates overlap and and Mm. other things are happening because maybe your moon was at this point and then something happens there's a pluto's at 90 degrees to it or something Mm. like that so lots it's actually quite 
intricate and yeah. huge, huge, huge topic. Um, but basically the, the premise is that around that time of midlife and the dates kind of change a little bit, like you had your, your Pluto square went from 35 to 39 over quite a long time because just because Pluto's got an erratic orbit and it goes forwards and backwards and it depends if it's the point where Pluto goes a little bit faster over that point or yours it kind of came back and forth a little bit. Um, so it is quite quite a science. And even when people go, oh, that's just a whole load of BS, once you start to look into it and hear some, oh, well, that happened when you get a good astrologer who says, well, did this happen? The kind of thing happen at this age, blah, blah, blah. You go, whoa, hang on, maybe oh. there's something to this. And that's where I kind of got hooked in. So mm-hmm. I know that um, I sent you some of the dates, worked them out mm-hmm. for you, and it was that kind of late 30s period and then that early 40s, and that, that's what happens for everyone. Your Pluto square was 35 to 39. Mine was... 37 to almost like into 40 um a bit different for everyone but you had some quite big changes happen in your life you wrote your own midlife unraveling a la Brené Brown style even you don't have to go into that but um but it, it impacted um, you you've, you've it's, it's my story it's it's huge and I'm very very committed to living my life really openly in the hopes that that can help other people feel strong and brave and not alone and so I'm, I'm totally an open book and so like you read in the story um, and it was August 2012 so you can tell me how that aligns to things that's that was a real turning point although the year 2012 from February or March 2012 leading up to August there was I was definitely in an unsettled period in my career right in and the middle of your Pluto square There you go. So in this transition kind of time. And I wouldn't say that I um, chose to be in a transition time. A number of things fell into place. The job that I had um, was fixed term and it didn't roll over. And I thought, okay, well, I'll try and do some contracting. I never would have chosen to start my own business. So it all kind of fell into place. And um, and then... (laughs) like I wrote in in my own mid-love story, I got really, really horny, which is just sounds so gross, but I was just, I was craving physical affection. As a a single mother who had been on my own for about seven-ish years at that point and not dating, not anything and really religious. And so you want to have companionship, you get married, which I'd already done twice and that was all pretty shit. And I was like, no, I'm done. And there was absolutely a period of, of buildup where I was just like, I am going to like eat myself alive if, I, if someone just doesn't touch my skin. Like I just want to be held. And this morning in preparation for our conversation, I actually went through an old journal back in that time. And, uh, and the amount of times that I was, it was becoming more and more obvious that this was building and then I was at a, a, a big work meeting and I was bored and I texted my friend and hello, next thing you know, this is a booty call. And it was just so out of, so out of character. I had never done this in my entire life. And now we're nine years later, what is it, September, just over nine years later. And he and I are still together. And now we have bought a house together last year. And I mean, it's just, it's crazy. I would never, I would never have seen this coming, but yeah. I get you could probably say that that was the planets doing that, right? Like that was definitely influencing me. Um, so I, I changed jobs. I got together with this beautiful man and I left the religion that not only had I been in my whole life, but my family had been in for five generations. So huge, mm-hmm. huge, huge turning point. And I was 38 and um, or right around 38. I can't count. Was I thirty seven okay. about? It's not a prerequisite for the podcast episode. Okay, good, lucky, because I do words <laughs> not numbers. Um, <laughs> and that was the turning point for me. And I, I've always told people that I'm a late bloomer because I kind of didn't question anything until I was thirty eight. I, I would like to think that I was a strong, confident, articulate, aware woman, but my way of existing in the world was pretty much predetermined in a lot of ways and I just never challenged it 
never considered stepping out of that and looking at it differently. And once there was a little crack, once there was a little crack to start letting some different light in, I was like, ooh, I need to know what's through the, through the other side of this. I need to know what things look like if I step away from church specifically. And what it looks like is awesome. Freaking love it. It's just been nonstop growth ever since. Did a lot of people drop out of your life at that point or were they accepting of your choices? I walked away from a lot of people. So absolutely no one um, deserted me or or cut me off. No one. Um, There was a level of discomfort amongst my family, my siblings and my parents, Um, but they're good, good, good people. And they worked through that themselves and didn't make it a me problem. And I, I also didn't make what I was going through a them problem. So we each kind of, we took a little bit of space for a couple of years. Um, But I walked away from my entire social network because they were all at church. And because, because I wasn't ready to, I didn't know how to exist with them anymore. And so I just, I just walked away while I was figuring things out. And some of those people have stayed in my life and, and some haven't, but, but none of it has been being rejected. It all just kind of happened quite organically. Wow. Mm. And so was that around the same time as you stepped out and started your own business? Yeah, it all happened all at the same time. So started, started moving into my business in February, March, 2012 left church, got together with Mike, walked away from my entire social network in August, September, 2012. Yeah. And so then for a year, um, I remember that I relied on Mike for all of my emotional needs that, that first year while I was finding my feet. And after a year, I realized, oh, this is not sustainable because I don't think any of us should rely on a single person to meet all of our needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, well, fuck, how do you make new friends at 38, 39? Like, is that even a thing? What do I do? Like, will you be my friend? Like, honestly, I remember really consciously going, how, how do I do this? What does that even look like? These days you find Facebook groups dedicated to that kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) So because I'm lucky enough to meet a lot of people through my work, um, oh, also hang on, let me just get, mm, when was it? So then it was April 2013 that I fully established my new business. Yeah. Um, And so that's when I started doing trainings and going into people's businesses. And I realized I meet amazing people all the time, like full groups of amazing people multiple times a week. And I was meeting cool people and going, oh, that's so cool. And then going home. And I just made a real conscious decision to go, I'm not going to let that pass anymore. I meet someone cool. I'm going to be like, hey, stay in touch. I'm going to be like, hey, let's get a coffee. Hey, let's do a podcast together. (laughs) And it was a really conscious decision that if I didn't, uh, A, why shouldn't I? B, um, because I remember thinking, what if they think I'm hitting on them or something weird? And I was like, oh, well, I just have to deal with it, figure it out as we go. And I've got the coolest network of people now and they're all like-minded and they're smart and they're self-aware and it just keeps growing. And I love that. So made that happen. Yeah, I'm finding that I'm meeting, making more friends during through work more recently, whereas when I was younger, I was definitely, I mean, I guess I was living in a bigger city and I was always meeting more people through my hobbies and I still meet a lot of people through my hobbies. Mm. Um, but especially at the workplace that we managed to meet at, mm. uh, there are a lot of them are all kind of friends with each other. And I'm like, wow, that, that's quite cool. I haven't really come across that so much, mm. but it is a nice place to meet people because you do get that kind of like meeting of minds as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. It's the cheese and crackers that does it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this workplace is pretty good with cheese and crackers in the morning. <laughs> the biscuits uh, in the afternoon, not so great for the waistline, but um, yeah. <laughs> There's something about the culture of the routines, the traditions, the meeting together um, that that changes it from, you know, we're just coming to work and doing the things that we need to do and then going home to be our real selves. It just, I think it opens those, the doors to those moments of being our real selves at work. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. We haven't actually talked much about your business, how we how we met through. I mean, you were running a training session um, yeah. that I, I was part of. Like, so you actually had a really great story when I asked you how you how you came into doing your business. Mm-hmm. Um, about someone just kind of handing it to me. Yeah, I was like, no, okay, come on, universe, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Yeah. So I I didn't plan it. In fact, if you had asked me at the time or before the time, I would have said that I had zero interest in running my own business. And that's because during my second marriage, my husband and I were on a farm and the experience of running the farm and the feeling of financial insecurity, you know, just the risk I came away from that. I mean, it didn't help that I walked away from the marriage and had to file for bankruptcy as part of walking away from the marriage and the farm. Right. So, so that, that didn't help, but I would have said to you that I did, I wanted the security of being an employee. I liked that security. I didn't want to take on the responsibility of, of, you know what what it's like to run your own business and so, invoices from people who haven't paid <laughs> yeah yeah that yeah um having said that though I would never go back to being an employee now ever ever so clearly the time needed to be right and that's you know we're Pluto to thank I guess um So I was in that transitional period of being employed part-time and trying to go out contracting, doing writing, editing, proofreading contracts because I'm a writer. I'm, you know, high school English teacher, university English um, or writing and composition and rhetoric and research writing kind of um, background. And so I thought, well, I'm good at these things. Surely someone might pay me since I don't have a full-time job anymore. And I, my, my part-time job was teaching. So I've always been a teacher and a writer. And then my Nana called me on her 89th birthday and she wanted me to stand for our Hapu Trust Board on Great Barrier Island. So she wanted me to get into Maori politics and represent the Fano. And it was the last thing on the planet that I wanted to do because I was a single mum of three kids. And literally on the day that she called me, I... Um, the side gig you know my business was blowing up and I was getting more and more work and I still had the part-time position and I was overwhelmed because I'm such a yes girl or I used to be such a yes girl and I was saying yes to everything and I had too much on my plate and I'd been on the phone to my sister that day because she is my sanity and she's a counselor so that helps so she's got she's got a useful skill set and we had been figuring out together how I could take things off my plate. And as the day moved on, I was feeling more and more, you know, less and less overwhelmed, more and more like things were manageable. And it was about 4, 4.30 in the afternoon that the phone call, phone rings and I know it's my Nana's birthday and she calls and she asks me to, can she nominate me as a trustee in the upcoming elections? And I, I think I started crying again because <laughs> it was the last thing I wanted to do, but you don't say no to your nana on her 89th birthday like shit and anyway the moral of the story is listen to your nana because that meant that I found myself over on Great Barrier Island for one of our trust meetings I got onto the board and and there was a man who we had hired to write a document for us and he wrote this document in plain language which is something I had never heard of before I didn't know that you can write things in a way that sounds human that sounds like just a conversation that would still stand up in court and still have legal weight and legal power. And because I had this really strong academic background, I always thought that you had to be quite formal in your writing in certain situations. And so two things happened. Number one, I was like, well, why on earth would we keep writing in this old fashioned way if we can do it this way? Because that just resonated with me so much being authentic and clear. Hello. And then number two, he said, yeah, I might have some work for you if you're interested. And um, the next day we talked more about that. And his name was Victor Main. And he trained people how to write better at work. And he trained people like engineers and like pilots at Air New Zealand. And I was feeling very much like little school teacher Shelley. And that kind of scared me, but I was like, okay. And he handed me his business. He just, he wanted to move on to something else. He wanted his clients to be well taken care of. Once I saw what he did in a room, I was like, oh my gosh, I can do that. And um, so I got a client base. I got a day rate, which I thought was kind of obscene, but I 
figured out a way to roll with it and I've increased it a lot since then <laughs> and it was, it was clearly meant to be um so I used to say oh it was all just luck but it fucking wasn't luck I was in the right place at the right time I walked through doors that were opened to me I um had all the experience and all the qualifications when I walked through those doors and so serendipitous yes uh um am I grateful to the universe for putting me in the right place at the right time and him there as well yes and I take credit for the part that I played in that um turning Hmm. point because you wouldn't still be in a successful business if you weren't good at it well yeah yeah there's that and also the fact that you know we talked about it late one night in the farikai drinking coffee and I was I was a mess I was a mess because I had just left church I was I described it at the time as a midlife crisis. I had just shaved my head. I probably looked like some crazy weirdo. I didn't want to talk to him, (laughs) but but he came in and sat down and started talking to me and we kind of found these points of alignment quite quickly. And then the next day I followed up. The next day I was like, were you serious about that? Okay, well, well then now what? How, how How do we do this? And so I followed through with that. I also just... Uh, he gave me advice, you know, start a, start a business, set up a company, um, get yourself GST registered, set up a website. And I was just like, boom, did all the things fast. So, you know, website. yeah, take, take all of the, you know, do those things. And so I did. And the rest is history, I guess, but really fun history. Yeah. yeah. And now I've just launched the School of Unprofessional Writing, which I am so excited about oh my gosh because our ideas about professional writing are just holding us back they're holding us back and so I'm not really encouraging people to be unprofessional but I'm I I think that our ideas of being professional in our writing are about as old school as leave your personal life at home Mm -hmm. right Um, mental health has shame attached to it and um, even subconscious bias and systemic racism. I think our ideas about professionalism go in the same box with Karen and Murray and whoever else is the LinkedIn police, right? And so that's why it is the school of unprofessional writing. And I'm so excited about it because for years people have been saying, how do we get on one of your courses? And the only way that I've delivered my material has been in-house when a business brings me in and so now I can come to you on your laptop or your phone just little videos going did you know this about good writing and oh try this thing and I I think that it um I think that it's going to help people a lot because it's really super accessible and not not some big long course write essays and do qualifications and take exams and shit like that because nah just on a day that you feel like it, you could watch one little video where I teach you about the active and the passive voice, and that could make a huge difference. And you might not want to come back and watch another video for a month. I remember uh, learning about that at university when back in the day when we had to code a web page from scratch. Not that oh anyone gosh. does that these days. Wow. I can't even imagine that. I'm really <laughs> glad I never had to learn that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's amazing how um, in my current work, I've managed to go back to concepts that I learned at university in terms of computer science, <laughs> computer programming, and I'm using them. I'm like, really? Oh. <laughs> Finally, it came in handy. It came in <laughs> handy. Hey, can I ask you a question? Sure. Because one of the most um, traumatic causes of growth, traumatic catalysts of growth for me has been my two grandsons being born and I don't know I haven't looked at the dates to see if these align with anything in my in the astrology so April 2015 my first grandson was born and so you could go back nine months before that when the trauma started finding out that that he was on his way and then um, June 2017 so I don't know if those dates and the nine months leading up to those dates align with anything yeah that Um, happened and um when neptune was starting to become into the square transit would have been the pregnancy announcement and um the first birth right in um yeah in the middle of tell me about neptune Um, it can feel 
um, a bit like a spiritual crisis for some people. Oh yeah, they were distressed. <laughs> and I was I was discussing it with a friend. Oh, I was probably about a year, eighteen months ago, and. I mean, I, it's kind of unusual for me to have friends that are of a similar age now that life's gone on. I know a lot of people just stay friends with the same kind of crew from high school, but that hasn't been my path. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were discussing how the spiritual focus, I think, for both of us in our 20s had been very um, yoga-oriented and quite Eastern and... Um, the Indian type spirituality. We did a lot of um, kirtan uh, singing in a group together, and we were talking about um, about that. It's mm-hmm. the music form of yoga where you sing. It's it's really big now, nice. and it wasn't so big when we were do, starting out ten years ago mm-hmm. um, with that. And I guess it's been nearly twenty years since I've been singing uh, uh, that kind of stuff. And I don't do as much of it now because we found ourselves. Um, and I should probably just speak for myself and not there, but found myself at this Neptune spot and then read about the Neptune square and went, oh, oh, no wonder I'm kind of a bit like, what is my path? Like that doesn't really resonate quite as much. I still love singing. I still love facilitating people in those, in in a singing sphere. Um, But that doesn't grab me the same way. So there was this kind of bit of confusion and, and now it's still continuing the Neptune Square, but kind of I'm at the other end of it and it's okay. I'm not worried about it. I'm just like, well, it is what it is and I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm delving into other different things that are attracting me and I'm not giving myself a hard time anymore about sticking with one thing or not. But yeah, there was definitely an element of confusion. Mm, mm. Really subtle, like it, yeah, just subtle. But oh, it wasn't subtle. <laughs> I mean, it's different for everyone. That's the thing, right? Um, and if I look at like that 2017 um, birth, that was right in the middle of the Uranus opposition. That's that big shakeup. Mm. Mm. By the way, when you're editing sound on this, if you can hear tapping in the background, this lovely man that I keep talking about, he's a carver, so he's outside carving like with a with a ham, with a chisel and mallet. So I don't think you should try and edit that sound out. That is just part of the journey, right there. <laughs> yeah, I only just um, heard it when when you mentioned it because I <laughs> the was soundtrack of the carver tapping. I was out. sitting here earlier, think, you know, hoping that um, that that beeping of the dishwasher that that I put on. (laughs) It's just life. (laughs) So the story for me around and the way that having grandchildren um, affected me and I I did uh, have a complete alienation from one of my grandson's mothers because of the way that I talk about this. it was just hugely traumatic for me, right? So part of my journey has been huge amounts of self-doubt about my ability to be an even half decent mother, like huge amounts of guilt around motherhood, around my parenting, around um, not coping for most of my children's young lives. And I had, I had for, you know, five, uh, not five years, for a few years before my son, uh, grandson was born, been enjoying more and more as my kids grew up and got more and more independent, been really coming, feeling like I was coming into my own now that I didn't have toddlers hanging on to me and the demands of children, which is what I really, really, really struggled with. And my son, who was coming up around 17 at the time, um, I thought we had a good relationship and we'd always kind of had this agreement that when he had sex the first time, he would let me know. And and one day he's like, oh, mum, so, you know, yep, that happened. And I was like, okay, thanks for telling me. And the next day he announced that they were pregnant. I was like, so clearly when he told me it hadn't just happened, had it. And, (laughs) but I just remember, so he called me, he told me on the phone, he was, he was too scared to tell me face to face and I was driving. And I remember just going, where are you? And he's like, no, no, it's all right. We'll talk later. And I was like, no, where are you? I'm coming to you right now. 
and just the sick, sick, sick feeling in the pit of my stomach that this boy who was not yet 17, I don't think he was 17 when she got pregnant, and she was much older than him, that he had no idea what he had done to himself, to his life, that he, that he could not possibly, and, and, and uh, triggered by my own guilt and stress around the experience of parenting and kind of wishing that I had chosen not to do it because I only like doing things that I think I'm really, really good at. Right. And I didn't think that I was good at it. And so I would prefer not to have done it because I was so shitty at it. And, um, and just, it was just so traumatic. It was so, so traumatic for me to know that this baby was coming, to know that his life would never be the same, to know that he had lost well, in my mind, this a, a few years of freedom and finding himself and growth and development that was all going to be impacted now that he was going to be a father. And then after the baby was born and just all of the issues, when children have children, it's always going to be messy, right? And then ending up in family court and all of that kind of stuff. And me having to face, so it would have been early 2016, me having to really ask myself, did I want to raise this child? And really face that question. And crying for four days before coming to the conclusion that it wasn't the right thing. Because if it wasn't going to be the right thing for me and my mental well-being to bring another baby full-time into my life, then it couldn't possibly be the right thing for the baby either, could it? Right? It wasn't. For me, it couldn't be a case of, well, it's the right thing to do, so we can give this boy a good home and so we'll just have to make it work because all of my experience said that my mental health is not, um, that, that having a child, a baby in the home is so demanding on me that I don't function well. And so why would I choose to bring a baby into a situation being raised by someone who's not well? Mm. But that was hard. That was a hard, hard, hard decision. I'm glad that I made it then because two years later he fucking did it again. And I was <laughs> and I was already like, well, you know, I'm not raising this one. So I don't have to go through that decision making process again, do I? <laughs> wow. Mm. I, I had a friend who made a similar decision when her daughter um yeah, well, well, and all those thoughts about what society expects of us. We've got so many grandparents raising, raising mm -hmm. their grandchildren. And, mm. and it seems like that's the right thing to do. It seems like it should. Good, good grandparents do that to give their grandchildren good, safe, secure homes. And I had to decide that that wasn't the right thing for me to do. And that's all very complex. That's a really courageous decision to make. It's mm. been... Uh, soul destroying at times mm. Mm. those boys are nearly five and seven now or are they five and seven no they're four and six i don't know i can't count we've already established this yeah you're a writer yeah <laughs> two words not numbers they're beautiful boys and they're glorious and having them in my life just being purely focused on me has been a huge challenge Mm. so many layers with life wow I know I'm in the middle of my midlife but yours really sounds dramatic it feels that way it feels that way because I've only given you glimpses into tiny parts of it like I haven't talked about the daughter with the the Fangai adopted daughter who I brought in at age, at her age 22 after 22 years of trauma and supporting her. So that was that's been five years now of having her in our lives. And that's been an entire journey of all of its own. I haven't talked about my son's addiction and the related periods of suicidality. Um, haven't talked about my partner's son committing suicide. So it does feel dramatic. It, it really does. But wow. also, and so there have been times where I'm like, am I just some kind of, of, of drama magnet, you know, because I'm a Pisces or like all these questions that I ask myself, is there something that I've, that I do to draw, but no, I just, I'm just living life. And I think 
I think that lots of people have this much in their lives, but not everyone talks about it as openly as I do. I think that the longer you live, the more shit goes down. The bigger family you have too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I can't, oh, sounds so cliche. I can't wish that any of it didn't happen because I wouldn't be me. And I, I really like me. I think that me is powerful. And I think that's good for my family. And I think that that's good for the world. I think that I've got something to offer and I wouldn't have the same things to offer without all of that. It's true. I'm just taking a quick look at your chart. Yeah. yeah your beautiful thinking. ear grand trine, which I also have one. It means you're a great communicator and a great talker. And a, Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that's, it's like the dramatic metamorphosis of all the stuff happening and how we started this conversation with you being, well, you know, it's, it's the midlife crisis, but it's the mid love. Yeah, it so is. Peeling back the layers of things that stop us from fully knowing ourselves and fully loving ourselves. I know that I will always keep learning more and more about who I am, but I think that I have a pretty decent hold on the reality of who I am across the entire spectrum from strengths to challenges and everything in between. And, and I can truly say I love all of those parts, even the parts that are real challenges, even the parts that I think are, are dark and that I'm continually trying to love my way through and, and love while they blossom into more beautiful things and less dark things. Um, and I don't know if that can happen before midlife. I just, I just don't know. I don't know if we can do that. Mm. Well, you've got Pluto about to come over your natal Venus. That might be interesting. I'll check in a couple of years. What do I need um, to know? Pluto's <laughs> transformation in Venus's, you know, beauty and creativity and and maybe love and cool. Yeah, cool. more transformation <laughs> coming. <laughs> but I, I don't I don't see how tra- transformation can stop. I don't want to get stagnant. I agree. I totally agree. And what I have learned from my studies in astrology is that there's some of us who are, are from an astrological point of view, yeah. our charts are set up and, and yours is a bit like mine. You've got planets all over. It's not like everything's just in one corner, like some people's charts. Um, and it, it just happens that there's always something continually happening. There's continuous learning in life. And yeah. I mean, let's be real. We wouldn't want it any other way. No, I wouldn't. No, not at all. Um, Alicia Mackay is someone I went on a speaking tour with earlier this year, and she's a strategist. She's only 32. She's amazing. And um, she tells a story about, um, you know, like who would want to read that novel about the person who lives a pretty safe life and then they did dishes and then they raised some happy children and then they died. Like that's not a story anyone wants to read. Like there's nothing exciting in that. Except we brought up that that's how we're supposed to live. I know. <laughs> and we spend all our time through all the periods of, of stress or unsettledness or the global pandemics or whatever, waiting for that to be over so that we can have peace and calm. And I'm like, no, fuck peace and calm. There's always going to be another thing. The, the thing is, can we find peace and joy and contentment while the things, the next thing and the next thing and the next thing keep coming down around us? Because they will keep coming. And if we always wait for the, this current thing to be over, then you're pretty much fucked because there will always be another thing. So our challenge is to love ourselves regardless of what's going on around us and to find contentment in who we are and what the world has to offer while those things keep getting thrown at us and I'm the first that that to say that on any particular day I might be crying in a corner somewhere right I'm not saying that I'm always full of peace and calm but I always know that it's there to come back to there are ups and downs and as long as predominantly I can find some joy and some self-love then we're all good but I still go there with all the feelings it's I would hate for someone to hear me talk like that and think that I've just got my shit sorted because I haven't who does? <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that we need to have our eyes wide open and not be keeping happiness or success or contentment or well-being over the cognitive horizon. That whole idea that I'll be happy when or I'll, be, I'll take better care of myself when or I will rest when. I'm like, nope, 
but we can't, we have to figure out how to do that now. Yes, we do. <laughs> well, yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. Yep. Yeah. So, mm. There you go. Wow. Hope that, hope that yeah. helps. That was just like the perfect quote. Oh, the perfect quote. Well, feel free to quote me on that. I will quote you on that. <laughs> um, and I've got a book coming out shortly called Ooh. Lessons in Badassery. Lessons in Badassery. I was wondering if the word badass is going to come out in, in our conversation. Look, I previously, I previously published it as Good Shit I've Learned, and that was self-published and just kind of an experiment on what can I do all by myself. And then I wanted the exercise or the the um that's not the right word the experience of working with an editor and so this is basically the second edition of good shit i've learned lessons in badassery and it's just it really is just little glimpses into moments in my life where i learned something because people started going how did you become this shelly like this this person that we see now how did how did this happen and i was like i don't know i just i learned some good shit like and so I decided to just tell a few stories about moments where I learned things like as a school teacher as a um, secondary school teacher early early in my teaching days having these boys be like miss can we go back to the class and do the blah, blah, blah? and like we were coming into the um the school hall and there were hundreds of kids all crowded around and they were just kind of like oh miss can we go do this thing and I was like no and they took off to do it anyway and then I heard this other voice just be like oi you two get back here and I turn around it's this little old lady right tiny little old lady with this loud voice and they and I looked at them and they turned around and they slumped back and she leaned over to me and she was like they can smell fear just act like you're in charge and you are and I was like fuck what a good thing to know. Just act like you're in charge and you are. And that is a lesson I have taken with me from that moment on. This is another really good quote. Okay. <laughs> yeah, good shit I've learned. Oh, well, all so, lessons in badassery. Yeah, like so that. So exciting that lessons in badassery is coming out and you've got your new course launched. And yeah. I just can't highly recommend your website enough because it's one of the best written entertaining websites that I've looked at in quite some time yeah. so thank please you. like honestly it's and, and you can get that little like free course with little tips for writing <laughs> which, which is great but I like I really liked your timeline of like oh, just the you. way you wrote about your your past I I just I told everyone at work did you, did you click on that link? Because there's some really good stuff on that website. Oh, thank you for that feedback. Because, you know, once something's been in place for a while and me being me thriving on change, it starts to feel old. But yeah. I have to remember that when you go there for the first time, it's not old for you. It's just old for me. So people can look me up on shellydavies.com. Make sure that you don't put an extra E in the Shelly. Or you could look at my courses on unprofessionalwriting.com. Um, I've got a TEDx about plain language. Um, there was something else I was going to tell you about, but that I guess that will that will do for now, or maybe later on in December when I go on my next speaking tour, which is called Get Your Shit Sorted, and it's a tour that I do with Lance Burdett, who used to be a crisis negotiator, and Alicia Mackay, and that is currently the most joy in my world, being on stage with those amazing people and just talking to others about how to cope with what life throws at us and how to love ourselves that's that's my joy too so lots going on awesome I look forward to that hopefully it's coming somewhere near me and near you whoever's listening yes. Yes. <laughs> uh in December I can tell you now in December of 2021 we are going to Hamilton uh Tauranga and Taranaki cool so all you people in Aotearoa New Zealand who are in those areas and can travel to them safely um please come sorry if you're overseas i don't think our borders will be open by then no <laughs> well there certainly won't be any space for you to go into quarantine it's topical right now thanks for this sarah i've loved talking with you thank you so much yeah it's been a pleasure i love all the juicy life advice that you have and i look forward to um, taking a look at your book awesome thank you Thank you.
When it comes to my music track, I'm getting scarily close to needing to start the new daunting learning curve of recording my own music at home and making it sound good, instead of sneakily relying so far on studio recordings from past albums. I admit it, I'm a perfectionist, which is both a blessing and a curse. Now that I've announced that to the world, maybe some of you can encourage me on it, so that I'm not dipping into past recordings quite as often. The song for this show is a live track. It's from a small boutique festival in the Bay of Plenty, Aotearoa, New Zealand. The delightful festival of body and sound. It was a precursor to the Little Yoga Festival. Unfortunately for us, neither of these festivals are currently active, though good memories definitely remain. This recording was towards the very beginning of my Pluto Square transit, which was the beginning of my midlife crisis or unravelling, and actually the second song I ever wrote while I walked the mountain valleys of Auraki Mount Cook in my university summer job many years ago. So both the writing location and performing location bring a smile to my face. And I'd like to say special thanks to Druva for the excellent sound that made this feasible to share. Open your soul to the past and the future. 
Unraveling Midlife is brought to you from Aotearoa, New Zealand by www.sarahmarlowspence.com Theme music is by Sarah Marlow Spence and Saraspati Marie Willis and art by Samantha Hepburn. <laughs>